in the spiritual exercises, the retreat written by St. Ignatius of Loyola, after the opening meditation on sin, the sin of the angels, the sin of Adam and Eve, the sin of each of us, the retreatant is then invited to contemplate the mystery of the Annunciation from a different perspective. Not that of Mary's perspective as she's greeted by the angel, but rather from the viewpoint of the one who sent the angel. Saint Ignatius places the retreat in, in God's point of view, looking down upon the world, looking down on the history of mankind, looking down on a world of sin, rebellion, blindness, and ignorance. It's worth pondering. What is God's reaction as he looks down and sees the sin of Adam and Eve? What is God's response to my sins? As you look upon the world with God, you hear echoing in the heart of the Trinity the words, let us work the redemption of the human race. God's response to sin is not one of anger or spitefulness, but only love. In the face of all the evil in the world, a decision arises to send the Son to live as one of us in the very midst of our sinful world. As John's Gospel says in that beloved passage, for God so loved the world, he gave his only Son. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. We ponder God's choice with awe and wonder. His decision to descend into our sinful world, our sinful lives. And there we discover the heart of the Trinity, a heart filled with saving love. We catch a glimpse of this heart in our gospel today. At the sight of the crowds, Jesus' heart was moved with pity for them because they were troubled and abandoned like sheep without a shepherd. This is the love which moved the Trinity to send the Son for the redemption of the whole universe. The Trinitarian love burning in the heart of Jesus that leads him to strip himself of divine glory, emptying himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men. In the heart of Jesus burns a fire of love that enlightened, encouraged, and impelled him every step of the way. His ministry, we hear in today's gospel, to cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, drive out demons, shows his mission that he has come to reverse all the effects of sin. And it further reveals that love that fills his heart a love for fallen humanity that ultimately leads him to the cross. Today we celebrate the memorial of St. Ambrose, bishop and doctor of the church. Ambrose was born to an influential Roman family in the year 340. He became a recognized and popular Roman governor. In 374, when the bishop Milan, Milan died, There was a deep conflict in the Diocese of Milan between the Nicene Church and the Arians. Ambrose went to the church where the election was to take place and was trying to prevent an uproar when the call rang out, Ambrose Bishop. 
which was taken up by the whole assembly. Ambrose vehemently protested and even tried to hide because he was only a catechumen. He hadn't even been baptized, had no formal theological training. But eventually he gave in to the popular acclaim, and within a week he was baptized, ordained a priest, and consecrated Bishop of Milan at age 35, where he would be bishop for the next 23 years before his death in 397. As bishop, he put to use those oratory skills he had been trained in and his knowledge of pagan philosophy in his sermons, which he's most known for. It was these sermons that actually led St. Augustine to actually come to Milan because everybody said, you have to go hear Ambrose. And eventually, of course, we know how Augustine would be baptized by him. He is a doctor of the church because of his preaching and writing in defense of the church's teaching, especially against the Arians, that heresy that denied the divinity of Christ. A personal favorite of mine is a sermon of Ambrose, which was given on Palm Sunday about not giving up the basilicas. The Roman Empress Justina had sent soldiers to seize the churches as you know, for the Arians as she was following that heresy. So the people barricaded themselves inside the basilica with their shepherd. You can only imagine, you know, they're field, filled with this fear and distraction, and, you know, they can hear the soldiers outside. And yet St. Ambrose has to preach in the middle of all this. And he addre- directly addresses their fears, calling them not to be afraid. For all of Holy Week, the imperial troops surrounded the basilica in an attempt to starve them out. In order to calm the frightened people, Ambrose taught them to sing hymns he composed. He even split the congregation in two in order to alternate verses of the hymns, our first recording record of antiphonal antiphonal singing in the church. And it was probably this music of prayer and praise coming through the walls that eventually softened the hearts of the soldiers. One of the hymns Adam Ambrose is traditionally credited with composing is the Te Deum, a great hymn of joy and thanksgiving. And for our retreat, it's opportune to consider some of his writings on Mary, the mother of God. St. Ambrose penned an Advent hymn called Veni Redemptor Gentium, Savior of the Nations Come. And the second verse, he describes the miraculous birth of Jesus. Not by human flesh and blood, by the Spirit of our God, was the Word of God made flesh, woman's offspring, pure and fresh. It's not from man's seed, but from the Spirit or breath of God that the Word was made flesh the fruit of Mary's womb. The breath of life that once breathed into Adam's is now breathed upon Mary. Just as the wind of the Holy Spirit swept over the waters of creation, so too the Spirit overshadows Mary. Jesus is conceived by an act of God without bodily contact, preserving Mary's virginity, just as the world was created without pre-existing matter. The incarnation is thus a sort of recreation of the world so that fallen nature may be redeemed. 
In the original creation, God made man in his own image. In the fullness of time, he created a body for himself. This meeting of heaven and earth, God's complete gift of himself, happens in the womb of Mary. Mary participates in this moment of recreation and revelation in a special way by agreeing to bear the Son of God. Indeed, before she conceived the God-man in her womb, she first believed in her heart and beheld him in prayer. And his work on virginity, Ambrose presents Mary as a model for all of us. She was a virgin not only in body, but also in mind, humble in heart, grave in speech, prudent in mind, sparing of words, studious in reading, resting her hope not on uncertain riches, but on the prayer of the poor, intent on work, modest in discourse, want to seek not man, but God as the judge of her thoughts, to injure no one, to have good will towards all, to rise up before her elders, not to envy her equals, to avoid boastfulness, to follow reason, to love virtue. We particularly can learn from Mary's habit of contemplation. We are called to ponder in our hearts the mysteries that have been revealed, just as Mary did. And during this season of Advent, as we prepare to commemorate the coming of our Redeemer, it's opportune to remove those distractions from our lives that keep us from giving ourselves to him in prayer. As Bishop Conley pointed out in his column last week entitled Time to Slow Down, the season of Advent is one that's challenging because there's so many activities. Therefore, we're invited to enter with open, loving, and longing hearts to take advantage of the season of Advent as a great time of year to increase our prayer. It is through prayer that we encounter the Lord and receive his love Perhaps, perhaps take extra time to read the scripture, meditating upon the word of God. Like Mary, who pondered all these things in her heart, it's a time to make room for Christ in your lives and to stir up a greater longing for him in your hearts. You may know that we have several Marian feast days this week. On Monday, we have the transfer of solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. And tomorrow, I'll talk about the feast we celebrate on Thursday, Our Lady Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas. But what you may not know is we also have a third brand new Marian feast celebrated this week on Tuesday. Just over a month ago, Pope Francis added December 10th as the feast of Our Lady of Loretto to the church's calendar and liturgical books. He said, putting the celebration of Our Lady of Loretto on the universal calendar will help all people, especially families, youth, and religious, to imitate the virtues of the perfect disciple of the gospel, the Virgin Mother, when conceiving the head of the church, also accepted us as her own. According to tradition, the Holy House of Loretto was carried by angels from Nazareth to the Italian hillside town of Loretto on the night of December 10th in the year 1294, after making a three-year stop in Croatia. Tradition holds that this small house, which is made of three stone walls, 
is the place where Mary was born, where she was visited by the angel, where she conceived Jesus through the Holy Spirit, and where the Holy Family would later live. The decree instituting the new memorial said the shrine in Loreto recalls the mystery of the Incarnation and helps visitors meditate upon the words of the angel announcing the good news and the words of the Virgin in response to the divine call. And it has this house has been able to illustrate powerfully the evangelical virtues of the Holy Family to remember all of those hidden years of the life of Jesus, living in a family. The Holy House of Mary and Loretto has been one of the most popular pilgrimage sites since the Middle Ages, with popes and saints visiting there from Francis of Assisi to Therese of Lisieux. Millions flock to Loretto each year to venerate the tiny cottage, and it's one of the shrines St. John Paul II visited the most. The decree continues. Before the image of the Mother of the Redeemer and of the Church, saints and blessed have responded to their vocation. The sick have invoked consolation and suffering. The people of God have begun to praise and plead with Mary using the litany of Loretto, which is known throughout the world. In light of this, Pope Francis has decreed that the optional memorial of the Blessed Virgin Mary of Loreto should be inscribed in the Roman calendar on December 10th, the day on which the feast falls in Loreto and celebrated every year. Historical documentation shows that the Holy House of Mary was brought from Palestine to Italy in the 13th century. But there's some dispute about the means by which that move took place. Today, custodians of the shrine have said that the stones of the house were removed from the Holy Land and carried by ship by a member of the Angeli family. The family name Angeli is the Italian and Latin word for angels, thus the possible reason for the more popular notion that it was winged angels that flew the house to Italy. So whether or not the house came by way of ship, our later Loretto is still the patron state of aviation and air travel, and scientific investigations have concur concurred with the tradition that this could actually be the house from Nazareth. Excavations in both Nazareth and Loreto have found similar, similar materials at both sites. The stones that make up the lower part of the walls of the Holy House in Loreto appear to have been finished with a technique particular to that area of Palestine. There are inscriptions on the house in a combination of Greek and Hebrew letters that read, O Jesus Christ, Son of God, which are written in a style similar to some inscribed in the grotto in Nazareth. Today, the holy house is enclosed in marble to protect the stones, believed to be the very stones where the word became flesh at the Annunciation, stones miraculously rescued from the Holy Land as the Crusaders were being driven out of Palestine at the end of the 13th century. And as the decree mentioned, besides the shrine, you possibly have also heard of the litany of Loretto, perhaps one of the most popular prayers in honor of the Blessed Virgin Mary after the prayers of the Rosary. It's a prayer frequently used in acts of Catholic piety and public devotion, such as during benediction of the Blessed Sacrament while making a visit to a church, or as we'll do today on First Saturdays. 
It was first recited by the clergy and people of Loreto, Italy, and probably put into print by St. Peter Canisius about 1551. The litany is still prayed to this day, although there's been additions made over the years. For example, the patron of our retreat house, Mother of Good Counsel, was added to the litany of Loreto in 1884 by Pope Leo XIII. The invocation, Queen of Peace, pray for us, was ordered by Benedict XV in 1917 as the church prayed for the end of the Great War. In 1950, Pope Pius XII added Queen assumed into heaven after declaring the dogma the Assumption. And Pope St. John Paul II added two invocations, Mother of the Church and also Queen of Families. The memorial of Our Lady of Loreto on December 10th is optional. And I don't even know if the readings and prayers for the new feast have yet been translated into English. So if you go to Mass on Tuesday, don't be surprised if the priest doesn't celebrate and just does the weekday of Advent. But as I mentioned, we will pray that litany after Mass and renew our consecration to Mary on this, the first Saturday. In a homily in 1995, St. John Paul II called the Holy House of Loreto the house of all God's adopted children. He said, the threads of the history of the whole of humankind are tied anew in that house. It is the shrine of the house of Nazareth to which the church that is in Italy is tied by providence, that the latter rediscovers a quickening reminder of the mystery of the incarnation, thanks to which each man is called to the dignity of the Son of God. So we conclude where we began pondering the mystery of the Incarnation, which we prepare to celebrate anew at Christmas. Let us frequently meditate on the life and mysteries of Christ our Lord, and as we do so, may we be led into the heart of Jesus to find a whole trinity of love. May our hearts be transformed as we are inserted into this love of the Trinity, into the very family of God. We ponder how God became man and gave all in love to save you and me. Indeed, Jesus stripped himself of everything, even giving us his own mother. And may our prayer and meditation on this mystery not only look backward, but also forward. May it prepare us for when Christ will come again, that moment of our death and our entry into our heavenly home, where together with Mary and St. Ambrose, with all the angels and saints, we will contemplate the Holy Trinity for all eternity. Heart of Jesus, born for us, pierced for us, full of love for us, we give you all honor and glory, now and forever. Amen.